Awakened Reality Podcast, JFK Assassination. back online hopefully we'll be not right. doing this online very long yeah. you know pretty soon we'll be in person i hope hey steve we don't have to wear masks via zoom do we <laughs> oh i've been doing it wrong i i just i i i i kind of drew a line where, where like wearing a mask on zoom just to like prove we're actually doing it i'm <laughs> just kind of throwing it out there i mean i anyway whatever. i always wonder about that you see people on tv and it's like there's nobody near them at all and they have a mask on i mean i think maybe they're trying to like set an example or something yeah so let's move on to the most important part of our podcast uh what beer do you got bill oh you folks have seen this before it's called double bag double bag it brings me back to my my college days. <laughs> Don't worry, Debbie, I won't out you. Um, anyway, um, but this is a very good uh, darker beer. It's uh, like seven point whatever percent alcohol. But I also have this new beer that that my wonderful wife Allison brought up for me, and it's called Pink Guava Funk. Now, this is a prairie artisan ale that's supposed to be some sort of uh, sour. Uh, ale with pink guava. Now, now, folks, trust me, I didn't find this, okay? I, I didn't pick this beer out. Not that it would be a bad thing or anything, but I don't think if I saw this front of the container, I'd actually be <laughs> interested in getting it, uh, especially if I turned it around and saw, I mean, look, it's got a pretty good alcoholic content, 6.3. Okay, so, you know, yeah, not as good as what I've got, but but when I saw the the guava and this whole sour thing, I'm not sure. What do you have, Steve? Uh, I have another IPA. I've been on a run of IPAs. It's from Otter Creek Brewery. It's it's bonus stage IPA. You see so, bonus bonus stage, yeah. Bonus? Yeah, it looks like a like a video game on the front of it, <laughs> but. Yeah, it's great. I mean, they make a bunch of different IPAs. Otter Creek does. It's another Vermont, um, another Vermont brewery. Your arm keeps disappearing on that one side. You have your beer on. Oh, really? I think it's your. I think it's your background. You're not actually in a bowling alley, are you? No, I wish I were. <laughs> there are no bowling al alleys around anymore. You know, they got rid of the one in our town. I think you have to drive like thirty or forty minutes now to go bowling if you want to go bowling. Out in the booties. Well, Steve, you know, you, you told me before you have a really good thought about my reactions to certain beers, and, and I'm scared. I'm when I was little, I used to say "us scared." Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a scared. Yeah, I'm a little a scared. Um, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with my facial expression, and I am not going to go overboard. So I'm just going to let you know. Here goes drum roll, please. Okay. Nope. I do not. Not a fan of sour sour ales. Oh, bro, no. Sorry. No. Um, if anybody wants it, you know, just uh, yeah. Allie won't. Allie won't drink it. Oh, she was that. That's horrible. 
I, I, you know, look, maybe somebody digs it, but maybe you can tell me why because I can't find anything good about it. It's kind of like a sour candy, but without any sweetness, and it's beer. Who drinks that? Anyway, um, double bag, bro. Trust me when I tell you. There you go. So you're going with the Vermont beer tonight. I'd rather drink your IPA every day for the rest of my life <laughs> and then climb to the top of the Empire State Building, jump off, and get my eyeball caught on a hook. Mm-hmm. That's what I would rather do than drink Pink Guava Funk. As you can tell, they are not our sponsors. They are not our sponsors. Yeah. Now I feel like i got to try it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Steve. No, don't do it. No, sour ales really aren't my kind of thing. There's not my beer, but... All right, let's talk about uh, – what are we talking about today, Bill? Today, today we're going to talk about a couple of things. One, we're going to talk about uh, continuing speaking about J. Edgar Hoover uh, and uh, how he reigned over the FBI for multiple decades. We're also going to dig a little bit into um, our uh, MLK uh, and our MK Ultra, which are kind of interesting, um, mind control studies that the FBI um, – handled for a couple of decades and that they say are now debunked and not being used anymore, but huh. we're to that too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, hopefully, I don't know if we'll get to the uh, CIA mind control. We tend to progress slowly, but we'll do what we can. We will. We will. We'll try. And if not, it'll be the next podcast. Hey, like we roll here, like on, on the seat of our pants. And I think that's one of the good things about us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, watch it. You can find out we could be talking about something serious. Next thing you know, we're talking about Unix. So, I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to get to the CIA mind control. It's one of the ones I've been waiting for. So it's kind of cool to get to, you know, some of those sorts of topics. But but let's yeah. get into J. Edgar Hoover because he is an important player in all of this. And, we're, and today we're starting right at the beginning um, regarding uh, J. Edgar Hoover. So who was he? You know, if any, anybody doesn't know about him. He was an American law enforcement administrator who served as director of the FBI for 37 years. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in 1895, and he became the um, director of the Bureau of Investigation, which was the predecessor of the FBI in 1924. <laughs> so he was really, he was the head of the FBI for 37 years but he, but he was also the head of the FBI's predecessor for 11 years. So he essentially ran intelligence in our country for half of a century. Imagine um, starting in the FBI when you're 24 years old and, and then continuing it till you're 72. Can, can you? Can you <laughs> till he was 77. He died at the age of 77 when he was the director. Yeah. Can you, I mean, he said he was, he was quoted as saying, I will never leave the FBI. And he was right, because he died while being the head. So mm-hmm. There you have it. Right? Yeah, so he was you know, synonymous with the FBI for a long time. Um, some of the things which he's credited with um, is he's credited with turning the FBI into a, um, a larger crime-fighting agency than it was um, when it began. And he also introduced um, several modernizations to police technology um, such as he uh, created like a central database for fingerprints um, and he created forensic laboratories and uh, he did some other things. Although I kind of questioned, I, I made a note to myself, I said, or is he just getting credit for being around for so long 
And these technologies would have come to play eventually, regardless of who was in control of the FBI. I don't know. You know what, Steve? In, in 2011, um, Clint Eastwood uh, actually directed a movie about J. Edgar Hoover with um, Leonardo DiCaprio in the lead. In that movie, if you're interested in watching it, they, they do kind of allude to the fact that J. Edgar Hoover actually came up with the idea of fin fingerprints. Um, and the whole idea behind that. Now, I didn't have enough time actually prior to this, vi this, this video that we're putting together to actually find out whether or not that's true or not. But boy, if he had anything really to do with any kind of, um, you know, uh, implementation of that program, I mean, what a great accomplishment if that was the case. There may have been, just like with anybody else, right? If you've got a lot of conspiracy against you, there's always a lot of things that you did that are great. Mm -hmm. um, and if that's the case, that's one of them. I mean, I'm a, I'm a proponent of fingerprints. I think that um, even when you're a baby, you should have, you should be fingerprinted because if you did, I think I might've alluded to this in other parts of our videos before, but if children are, are fingerprinted from birth because they're footprinted, why can't they be fingerprinted? Mm -hmm. Then I think a lot of the deaths that might've happened over the last 50 years could have been avoided because the fingerprints are in, you know, the ICS system is the inception of their birth they would be found out. I think that, that would not only, number one, lead to people thinking about maybe I don't want to commit this crime and not committing it because they know if they leave prints, they're going to be found. Because right now, you know, you can leave prints as much as you want, as long as you don't get caught. If you're not in the system, you don't get caught. But if you start it from when you're a baby, you're always in the system. And if you've got nothing to, to if you've got nothing that you've done wrong, you've got nothing to worry about, the truth will set you free. I don't know. My thoughts. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't know, um, you know, that he had had really pioneered it to that extent. I just knew that he had kind of centralized um, the storage of the fingerprints. But yeah, I mean, I think people think that he was, we'll get into it, but I think people think he was pretty darn good at his job. You know, yeah. how, whatever you may think about how he y used his power, he was certainly skillful. Agreed. Um, I don't think anybody disagrees with that. Um, he's also credited with um, establishing and, and expanding a national blacklist. Um, <laughs> this is what's known as the FBI index or the index list. Uh -huh. um, it's kind of the undesirables, a list of undesirables. Was, if, you, if you wanted to answer. <laughs> yeah. It was renamed in 2001. Think of what, what happened in 2001. It was renamed in 2001 as the Terrorist Screening Database. Be there, huh? Something everybody can agree with, hey? Yeah, so which the FBI still compiles and manages to this day, which I kind of think is interesting where, you know, prior to 2001, there were lots of different sorts of people that the FBI might have wanted to um, blacklist or track communist, communists, communists, um, uh, you know, civil rights leaders, you know, all different sorts of people they might have, they might have hated. Um, but it, but by 2001, they decided, no, you know, it's just, it's nobody but terrorists are the people we want to include on the list. I will challenge not only you, Steve, but anybody else is watching this. Ask anybody that has an alternative view of our government and say, do you think you're on a list? <laughs> just like back then they had that list when it was the Red Scare, right? He had a list of over like 95,000 Americans 
that if anything ever happened, they'd be rounded up as dissidents, as mm-hmm. communist sympathizers. Now, now think about that, guys and gals. What makes that think make you think that it's not happening now to people that are doing things like what we're doing right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, how do we know that one day something's going to happen and the more radical of us, like mm-hmm. maybe not us, we're not, you know, top line yet, but you know, the, the crazies of the world, the ones that are out there with, with a bunch of support and a bunch of sponsors, you won't see them, bro. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think when we make the FBI index, that's when we know our podcast has arrived. I've done the job, bro. Yeah. <laughs> of course, our, our, our loved ones might not like that too much. But hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, you know. Anyway, so J. Edgar Hoover, he did start that. Yeah. And he had a bunch of presidents that were his buddies. Some were not. Some mm-hmm. were. Yeah. Um, so as Bill has already alluded, um, later in his life and after his death, he became a, a controversial figure. And this is mainly because evidence about how he abused and used his power be, began to surface. And many people thought that he had kind of exceeded um, the jurisprudence of the FBI or kind of what it was that they were assigned to do. He kind of, you know, went above his, um, you know, what he was allowed to do in their opinion. And also because he really used the FBI as a political tool. He, he harassed people whose um, political views were different than his. Um, he amassed files on various political figures. Um, he collected evidence using illegal methods. Um, he threatened presidents, um, you know, into trying to do... You know, I don't know that he really threatened them into doing what he wanted, but he kind of... Um, I mean, he, he, well, put it this way: if if you utilize the mob, if circumstantial you know evidence may prove that he did, to find evidence on on even presidents, I think Woodrow Wilson he he investigated his wife. Uh, uh, there is an interview in 1995 by somebody who was direct. Uh, person in the FBI that was close to, to Hoover that said that he sent a, uh, an FBI operative to Woodrow Wilson's wife's house on a specific day on orders from the president, Woodrow Wilson, dressed as a milkman. Now, he went into this lady's house and found that the person he thought that she was messing with was actually there, and she was making breakfast for him. So you want to talk about illegal activities? Look, everybody is human, brother. And if you're a president and your wife is messing around behind your back (laughs) and you have at your disposal (laughs) any means necessary to find this information, Mm -hmm. why aren't you going to use it, my friend? I mean, eh. Well, if you think also about when we talk about collecting um, intelligence information, through illegal methods. Well, it's like we hear about J. Edgar Hoover doing it and we say, oh, that's horrible. He's terrible, et cetera, et cetera. But then we watch a TV show like uh, 24. Remember that <laughs> TV show? Where he's doing all sorts of illegal things and we're cheering him on, you know? So it's yep. kind of like, all right, recording in progress. So uh, we had a little bit of a technical snafu, which we, uh, yes. which we dealt with with Dispatch. We think uh, it was communist. Yes, it was a communist infiltration <laughs> of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we, what we were talking about basically was that um, 
Hoover had a bunch of friends that were the presidents of the United States over his tenure. Uh, the presidents that he did not really have a lot of uh, uh, support from specifically was Kennedy. And I know there was another, I think it was uh, Woodrow Wilson. Um, but uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. We won't go into them right now, but uh, uh, there you have it. He, he, uh, he was the kind of person that liked to collect information. Um, it's kind of one of those things, Steve, I think that you'll agree that you ever work in a business where like, you know, the people that are in positions of authority that have a lot of problems with self-confidence, what do they do? They, they, they hold back the information trying to, when their job really is to, to find a replacement for them so they can move up, they want to hold all the information they have in, in order to stay in their position because they don't feel as if they're good enough to, to be able to, you know, to move up from where they are. I think mm -hmm. a lot of that had to do with, with, uh, with uh, our boy here, um, Hoover, and that he wanted to make sure that he stayed in position for an awful long time. And, and he wanted to make sure without everybody wanting to ever change their minds, they wouldn't be able to. So uh, some biographical information about him. He lived in Washington, D.C. his entire life. He was a, a child yes. there and he stayed there his whole life. He attended yep. Central High School where he sang in the school choir. Um, he had a, lo a lovely voice. Hey, I sang in the school choir. Nothing wrong with that. Um, and you're a better singer than I am. Um, and, and you're kind of pretty, Steve, too. I know, I know. What can I do? I've got it, I've got it going on. Um, <laughs> he uh, participated in the Reserve Officers Training Corps program, and he competed on the debate team. Now, um, I will say this, Steve. I, I, I have to interject, and I know I say this, every single podcast probably four or five times you know there was uh there were some critics that said that he was a draft dodger because he uh, decided to take a, 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 a government job mm -hmm. and get out of uh getting into world war one uh because that was the case uh, people thought he was a draft dodger but i think what you just said is kind of like almost almost proof that he did appreciate military but then there's the other side that says, well, maybe he just liked to dress up. Huh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's true. We'll never know. We'll never get into Hoover's mind, will we? Um, no. <laughs> so um, when he was on the debate team, this is a fun little tidbit. Because um, remember, this was way back in like the 1910s, 1920s, early 1920s. Um, during debates, he argued against women getting ah. the right to vote. Yeah. And he also argued against the abolition of the death penalty, which is, yep. you know, still actually, you know, people argue about that. I think most people now think that women should have the right to vote, um, but they're still. Didn't he also, Steve, penalty. if I'm not mistaken, didn't he also um, abolish women from the FBI? He did. For he a certain did, amount yeah. of time or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so no, so no Clary Starling, you know. <laughs> yeah. He was not a lover of the ladies. Apparently, perhaps not in any in any way, shape, or form, a lover of the ladies. Although, 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 there was a very famous woman. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget her name, but she was a very famous Hollywood starlet that that was supposedly, allegedly, had a, a a hot sexual affair with Mr. Hoover. When mm -hmm. asked about it, she said, "I cannot deny that." What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> that sounds that sounds steamy. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Quite stupid. <laughs> uh, so you heard it here first. <laughs> Hoover stuttered as a boy, 
And I guess he uh, managed to get over stuttering by learning how to talk very rapidly. And so that's why he's kind of known for, you know, speaking very quickly. They say he eventually spoke so quickly that um, stenographers had trouble kind of keeping up with him. So that was kind of a um, kind of a thing. And he made his name really in the uh, um, in intelligence during the Palmer raids. And that was the Palmer raids were um, it was right after World War One when um, it was really the first Red Scare. So like the Soviet Union was kind of on the was was rising oh. up, and uh, and so we we yep. um, we asked some of our our best and brightest in intelligence to start rooting out potential communists in our in our government and, and in our um, yep. citizenry, and so he was um, the person who led that effort. Yep. 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 And a, yep. what last little tidbit, just because I always mention this when it's true of somebody that we, we discuss, um, he became a Freemason in 1920. So before he ever held any positions of power. So maybe that yeah. helped him. Get uh, talk positions. about a really, talk about a smart move. I mean, maybe he didn't even know it at the time, but talk about a really smart move. I mean, if anybody knows anything about the, about the Freemasons mm -hmm. <laughs> way back then, that was when, like, the like the beginning of of the the foundation of Freemasons was happening. Like, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, of course, you know, if anybody follows the Freemasons, it's part of the whole uh, the whole idea of what was that group before the Freemasons? What were they called? I forget the Knights of the Templar or something yeah. like that. The Knights Templar. Um, it, it, but uh, this was the the the, uh, the now kind of Knights Templar that came out of, of that and the Masons, boy, he may not have known it at the time, but boy, he was a smart guy to do that. And he, I don't think he even probably knew how important that was. Yeah. I wonder if that's one of the reasons he was able to become, you know, head of the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all about who you know, man. So uh, let's talk a bit about his um, leadership of the FBI. So as we mentioned, he became um, he became head of the well. He became head of the Bureau of Investigation in 1924, um, and actually, uh, um, at the time, Bill mentioned that he he wasn't a big fan of the ladies. At the time, the bureau had 650 employees, including 441 special agents, and Hoover's first um, act was to fire all of the female agents and banned the future hiring of them, which to me actually just seems a little bit uh, not very pragmatic, right? Because you got to figure that yeah. that female agents can probably get some places that maybe male agents wouldn't be able to get. So, but he didn't, he's like, no, I'm not interested you know, in, in their information. And you know, Steve, I got to say, I, I got to say that, you know, a lot of the circumstantial real world kind of evidence rolls out here that, that says that perhaps he was a homosexual, mm -hmm. perhaps he was a cross dresser, mm -hmm. um, you know, stereotypical uh, ideas of women being catty mm -hmm. uh, and women being able to be more conniving and finding out more information about people because they can. Mm -hmm. It's almost like if, in fact, he was a homosexual, if, in mm -hmm. fact, he was, you know, maybe the reason he did that had to do with the fact that he knew 
that those stereotypes were in place and that in fact women could find information maybe they could find information on him it's one of those things where it's like you got to keep your enemies clo- closer but mm-hmm. maybe in his case it was just eliminate all of them <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and, i don't know I mean, it's like I mean... there's a lot of when we talk about the moving forward steve when we talk about a lot of this stuff i think that a lot of folks are going to go you know I'm leaning a little bit more towards he was rather than he was not. Yeah. I lean that way. We have some information later on, but uh, I don't really care one way or another, but no, to make a difference, but it does Uh, kind of explain some of the things he did. Yeah. Yeah. We can, you know, cover it. Um, So he was, he could be unpredictable in his leadership. He would just kind of pick out people and fire them. Um, Although sometimes the people that he, he didn't like was he didn't like people who didn't look kind of intelligent he wanted the people around him to look a certain way so he he would um fire people that he thought quote looked stupid like truck drivers although i don't know now, why now he... again okay well i'll tell you right now uh-huh. it's the whole ymca thing right i mean the guys with the, with the rolled up sleeves and the big mustaches drive the trucks maybe he kind of liked them i i, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know again that, look i'm not i am not that way i've got a lot of friends you know i mean mm-hmm. um and and the bottom line is though but i mean when you think about it you know if he were why not get rid of all the people you just don't like i mean it's like you don't run a business <laughs> i mean like this one guy we were talking about this melvin purvis guy uh-huh. i mean like you know he, he he's the one that was one of the most effective agents back in capturing the 1930 gangs but you know, whoever wanted to get rid of him because a lot of the a lot of the attention was on him. It's yeah. like he wanted to have all the attention for himself. It's like, come on, bro. I mean, you gotta let it happen. I mean, some people can actually do shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you gotta. If you're the boss, you have to not be afraid of having good people who work for you, right? Yeah, I think that just proves a lot of things about his character. The fact that he was very human, mm-hmm. and that he had uh, self consciousness. That he had. Uh, a lot of problems with confidence, you know? Yeah. And uh, sometimes just because you're the leader of a very prominent organization doesn't mean you're not human. Yeah. So as Bill mentioned, he would just kind of, um, he'd get rid of people that he didn't like or that he thought were a threat to him or getting too much publicity. Um, he didn't really care how good they were if he thought that they kind of threatened him in some way. Uh, but he, one thing he did do um, was he was always very diligent in praising local law enforcement officers. So like people who worked in Washington, if you were kind of did a good job there, he kind of got nervous about you if you were too close to his kind of territory. But then he went around the country and he praised local law enforcement officers um, so that they would kind of support him and like him. And uh, so he kind of built hey, come up on. That was so It's so contrived. Mm-hmm. That's so contrived, though. I mean, I mean, you know, he he only gave praise to the people he thought were going to support him. It's kind of like I don't know, uh, presidents going around the country trying to get votes. Yeah, or like every every politician who ever lived, pretty much. <laughs> you know, I won't raise taxes. I won't do this. I'll do this anyway. Go ahead. Yep. Um, yep. yep. So yep. Uh, the although although Steve, I will say he he was living with his mommy until he was in his 40s so so i mean i mean that could be a good thing or a bad thing i don't know what sigmund freud would say about it or or, or, or uh, you know and- so they became the fbi in 1935 and that's when he really was able to kind of take um take charge 
But at first, they weren't really um, the only game in town when it came to intelligence. Um, yeah. But he really is the one who kind of made them, you know, the 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 biggest, you know, the the most significant intelligence operation in the country, um, due to some of the stuff we talked about already in terms of, uh, um, you know, creating fingerprint files and, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and also just recruiting a lot more officers. You know, he was, it was a very well-staffed um, organization. Um, you know, Steve, you know, Steve, I, I got to say though, that, that, you know, living with your mom into your forties, I mean, to me, honestly, yeah. I had to, had to prove that he was, you know, uh, very distrustful of a lot of people and um, that it, it took a lot to get close to him. Uh -huh. And uh, you would think that anybody in his position, if, if uh, that was the case, and he was so closed off, that if, if he got close to one person, they'd make him or her his number two. You mm -hmm. know, that person who he can always trust. You know, there's always that one person. Mm -hmm. Soon enough, I'm sure we'll talk person. Yeah, and, and I kind of wonder uh, whether perhaps his mother, if, if he was a homosexual, you know, which was a difficult thing to be at that time. Is there a chance that his mother was a beard of sorts in terms of where he's, he's like, yeah. you know, like, well, I need to stay and take care of my mother and live with her. So I can't go and get married or whatever, you know, as, as might have been expected of him at the time. And look, like I, like I, like I brought up back in, in the early part of this podcast when there, there was an interview in 1995. And, and let me just hang on one second. I want to get back to that. I will tell you what that was. Um, let's see, that was a, it says, uh, the actual, the actual search you can put into YouTube is inside J. Edgar Hoover's FBI secrets, myths, history, investigation, career director, 1996. It's a C-SPAN two interview, um, of a, uh, FBI close-up person. Uh, it's a, like a 56 minute interview and it talks about everything that, that this guy thought about again. When you speak to somebody who was part of the FBI back then, do you really think he's giving you the correct information? Or is it one of those things where he's just trying to make it look like the guy was just a, a real good guy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he, goes, he goes forward to say that there was no way this man was a homosexual. He worked with them the whole time, this and the that and the other. But then when you look at all the other information, you kind of got to go, really, though? Mm -hmm. really and, and it's it's funny because it's going to make some people that are like a realist go come on there's so much substantial evidence that's going to prove this stuff and the fact that the mob said that they had a picture that some guy got lucky and all of a sudden turned into a huge mob figure because he was the one that took mm -hmm. a picture of you know her of hoover in a black ruffled dress with a black wig with with, with someone else i mean i, I you know Can you imagine if that photo just... ever actually surfaced like now <laughs> Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, it's got to be out there somewhere. I mean, but who's holding on to it? And why wouldn't he just get rid of it? That's the debunker's version of the whole yeah. thing. And how would you love to be the one to sell that to a national inquirer? You could make that be a pretty payday. <laughs> Even now. Even now, <laughs> Even it, would now. Be, it would be quite the payday. So, so what yes we, sir, yes sir, three bags full. So what we do know um, is that, and this is a theme, um, during the 1930s and beyond, he persistently denied the existence of organized crime, of the mob, of the mafia, even though there were, you know, multiple shootings that were related to the mafia. There was um, competition over um, the, the prohibition market. And also, this is 
fascinating to me, you know, the fact that he was denying the existence of the mob during the 30s, 40s, and 50s, because, I mean, have you watched 30s and 40s film noir movies? I mean, there's movies about <laughs> the mob all over the place as kind of, you know, those movies don't question whether the mob exists. It's like a, it's like a, um, you know, it's, it's a, a done deal according, according to the movies. So he was kind of by himself saying, oh yeah, there's no, no such thing as the mafia. Um, which I thought was odd. Um, well, you know, and I got to tell you, Steve, you know, looking looking it up, there's a gentleman who was a big mob figure called Meyer Lansky. Mm -hmm. um, in Anthony Summers' book, he's the author of the Hoover biography, official and confidential, said that the mob figure, Meyer Lansky, was one of those who had pictures of Hoover and Tolson in a compromising situation. Mm -hmm. And that was the one that said that they had the pictures of this this man in a black dress with a black wig and, and all of this stuff, you know. So, that that um, does make a lot of sense to me. The idea that the reason why he couldn't go after the mob for like yeah. three or four decades was because they had the perfect kind of blackmail material on him. It well, just I mean, makes and, sense. And think about it. Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, it, who? Why would a guy? who was totally into to, to the military and like rules and regs. Mm -hmm. And he was all over the thirties mobsters and all of this and all the, and all of that. Why would he all of a sudden just say there is no such thing as the mob? He would never acknowledge it all of a sudden. Yeah. All the way he, he up until like the late sixties, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, only because it was proven at that point. Right. I mean, so it's like, why would he have done that? I mean, anybody who has a critical thinking iota of brain in their body, is going to go, they probably had something on. Uh -huh. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, we can't prove it, but it just no. seems like it makes sense. It sure does. Yep, it does. It does. Um, yep. So another reason maybe why he left the mob alone was that he had a reputation as being a gambler, a, a horse oh. player. Um, ah. and, and he was actually known to send agents um, to place bets for him at the tracks. <laughs> Um, and so uh, he said that the, the Bureau had more important things to do than kind of arrest bookmakers and gamblers. Um, and, and as I, as Bill already mentioned, some people thought that maybe it was due to um, compromising photographs that he didn't, um, that he, that he, he didn't go after the mob. And um, um Yes, and, and I think they say the, the gangsters that sp supposedly have those photographs were Meyer Lan Lansky. Is that the guy you talked about? And Frank Costello. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. So. Yeah, and, and it's funny because folks remember those two names because Meyer Lansky, mm -hmm. believe it or not, and Costello are both very intricate in the JFK assassination. Yeah, 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 we get into that. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. Yep, so yep, yep. if he wasn't inter interested in the mob, um, what, what, was he, what was he interested in? Well, it was um, communism. That was his big focus, um, especially, you know, after World War II. And as the Cold War kind of developed, he got, you know, more and more obsessed with, um, um, with communism. So he was ignoring, you know, the, the mob, the drug racket, the prostitution racket, um, you know, all of yeah, that type Steve, of crime. There, there was also a, a huge part of, of, of that culture that, that, that was, was a, a scare tactics 
uh, the, the, the big red machine, the mm -hmm. red scare, all of this, this propaganda that, that Russia was, was all over us and was going to take us over. And, and this may have been, according to some critics, a reason why he wanted to keep his job. And he wanted to, to propose all this to people to keep them afraid. Gee, imagine that. A government official that wants to keep us afraid. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That perhaps might make up a problem and make up their own solution. Hmm. Could that happen? Yeah. Could, how many times? How many times could that happen? Never, never. So I mean, again, I'm just throwing it out there for the people like me that are going. Uh -huh. That's a crock of shit. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, he talked about this whole thing. You know, he, he said communist this, communist that, communist. You know, the bottom line is Kennedy turned around and spoke to the president of Russia himself with his own line. We'll get into that later, but mm -hmm. that just proved everything, right? If, if, if a president can talk to a, another president and, and change their views about certain things that can hurt the world, mm -hmm. how does anything about communism mean anything? Yeah. Really? It's, I, I, just, I just, I have a hard time with that and, and we'll get into it soon enough, but just another ding. <laughs> you know, pearl of knowledge for you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Sorry. the whole thing about the war against communism and, you know, the the extent to which communism was a threat and the extent to which it was used to control the American populace or to get, you know, to have powerful people get what they want. I mean, that's a, that's a common thread. We talk about that almost every single podcast. I mean, it just runs right yeah, through the JFK assassination. Yeah, um, yeah. It's so. true. It's true. So yeah, I think I already mentioned this, but just to put put the actual quote out, um, in January of 1962, Hoover was on record as saying, quote, no single individual or coalition of racketeers dominates organized crime across the nation. So he was essentially <laughs> saying there is no organized mafia. Um, yeah. Which just, I mean, people think... At the time, people thought that was ridiculous. Well, you know what? And, and let's think about that. Let's compare that that phrase, that quoted phrase, mm -hmm. to the people that say that uh, Joe Kennedy had a secret deal with the mob mm -hmm. to get his son elected president. Mm -hmm. And with that being that the mob would not be followed or talked about once he was. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were looking for an extra backup to Hoover, and all of a sudden, that didn't happen. Who knows? It's so contrived. It's so, so almost connected in the whole uh, web of, of deceit and conceit and concealment. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's all... Anyway, again, I, I love giving out these little tidbits of, like, stay with us kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Ah. Um. So let's see. So now we're going to get a little bit more in directly into the, the um, how he relates to the Kennedys. Um, so prior to um, Robert Kennedy becoming the attorney general, there were only four FBI agents um, in the New York office that were assigned to organized crime. And, and they were just doing kind of bookkeeping stuff in the office. Um, but at the same time, in New York City alone, there were 400 agents searching out communists. So think about that. There were 400 yeah. people looking for communists 
and four people dealing with organized crime. And, that, and that's what it was like prior to John F. Kennedy um, coming into power. Oh, and, and let me add, mind you, that these four agents mm-hmm. were in the office yep. doing administrative duties. <laughs> and they were like <laughs> just filing stuff and like taking faxes <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that, that's just kind of tells you what, you know, how seriously Hoover was taking organized crime at that time. Um, see, I'm skipping a few of the notes I have cause they're not, I don't think they're as important. Well, and, and you know, and you know, Steve, don't forget about the whole, you know, I mean, we could get back to, to prominent people who I put on record saying they went to a hotel and, and saw Hoover painting, Clyde Tulsa's toenails. We could speak to, you know, all of these other things that happened. Again, so what? But, you know, the proof to the pudding is that as soon as Kennedy became president, what did Hoover do? Well, he, he, he decided started... to put out some, he started the campaign against them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> yep, you know, yep. as, as, in fact, 10 days after Kennedy became president, J. Edward Hoover passed along a report from a field agent about a woman who claimed to be JFK's lover. Mm-hmm. Once every two or three months, similar missives would arrive in Bobby's office from the director, not so subtle signals that Hoover was keeping and regularly updating a file on president's blackmail. Bobby Kennedy's biographer, Evan Thomas, concluded was an efficient means towards Hoover's true end, the preservation of his own power. It was also Hoover's way of, of eradicating himself with Bobby, his immediate boss, and the president. His reports were meant to say, I'm your protector keeping you up to date on allegations and dangers you might want to preempt. But the bottom line was, well, he's basically telling them, look, <laughs> I know that JFK is boffing every woman around. I've got the, I've got the goods, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was also proven that there were, there were, they, they, they were called hidden files, but this guy, uh, Sullivan, who was interviewed in this 95 video on, on YouTube said they weren't hidden. They were right behind, you know, the secretary's desk. And everybody had, you know, access to these files, but in fact, everyone did not. Only mm-hmm. the top top people had had access to these files. When he mm-hmm. says everybody, he means everybody with a top huh. secret clearance. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yes, they were hidden for a reason. They were there for a reason. He may not have had them hidden at his house, like some folks would say, but there they were, right behind the desk. Yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, I think the the big takeaways about him and JFK really are um, that JFK forced his office to function different differently than it had um, ahead of time, or you know, prior to that. But sure. then at the same time, J. Edgar Hoover was able to stay to keep his position under kennedy by essentially blackmailing him sure sure thanks so thanks there was to, a lot of tension going on there thanks thanks to judith campbell right you know mm-hmm. they they had recorded certain converse uh telephone conversations which at the time radio uh telephone taps were, were not a, a bad thing because mm-hmm. well the only way to really get wiretaps back in the day was to get the approval of the phone service and there's not one phone service back in the day with this whole red scare that if they get a call from somebody from hoover's office it says there might be some communism involved that's mm-hmm. going to say okay do whatever you got to do mm-hmm. <laughs> so judith campbell was tied with sam giancana right so you put sam giancana judith campbell jfk and the whole thing what the hell right what the hell's going to happen then mm-hmm. jfk is like 
well, maybe I won't go after him after all. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, JFK, he wasn't going to commit political suicide, so. No, no. I mean, and you would have done the same thing. I would have done the same thing. Of course, you would think that you wouldn't do the wrong thing, mm-hmm. but everybody in this world does the wrong thing every once in a while. And if you're going to be a politician, you better be ready for it to come out. Yeah, and sometimes, it, you know, sometimes you, you even do the wrong thing thinking you're doing the right thing you know you might convince yourself it's the for the right reasons or whatever well uh, yeah i mean i'm sure jfk said oh judith oh judith oh judith i shouldn't be doing this i love my wife but you know (laughs) 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 you know who knows (laughs) or Uh, or maybe jfk said i'm sorry my 18 year old intern i i don't want to be doing this i don't want to be doing this this is wrong oh Okay, I'll do it. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, sometimes, I, sometimes I kill me. So let's talk a little, a little bit about Cointel Pro, and this is something I wouldn't uh-huh. mind doing. I wouldn't mind doing a series on this later on. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be. It's, it's multifaceted. Yeah, but we're just going to kind of touch on it um, a little bit here. Yeah. So, kind of what happened was in 1956, there there was. Um, there had been a few U.S. Supreme Court decisions that frustrated Hoover, um, mainly because they limited um, his ability to, to prosecute people um, for their political opinions, um, you know, most notably communists, but, um, you know, again, all different sorts of um, politicians. And so um, he decided that he needed to come up with some different tactics to um, attack his political opponents. And it was around that time that he formalized a, um, a series of, quote, dirty tricks under the name of Cointel Pro. I think that's, <laughs> that's an FBI um, name that they gave it. I don't know what yep. that stands for. I assume it, each of those letters stands for something, but whatever. It's um, sure. Cointel Pro. It stands for something. Um, it, it first was used to disrupt the Communist Party USA or the, you know, the USA Communist Party, um, where Hoover um, ordered the observation and, and pursuit of targets that, um, you know, it was a whole gamut of people, um, including, you know, celebrity people like Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. He thought that Charlie Chaplin yeah. was yeah. a communist. And so, you know, they were observing them. Um, Cointel Pro eventually shifted or fairly quickly shifted from just kind of um, keeping tabs on um, potential communists to um, different methods. And these later methods, we're talking now kind of mid to late 60s into the 70s, um, included infiltration of various groups, um, burglaries, setting up illegal wiretaps planting forged documents and yep. spreading false rumors um, about, um, you know, key members of different organizations. And, and then really what they started doing was they started uh, not just kind of spreading rumors, but they would make things happen. So like, um, like an example is let's say, and so Cointel Pro, one of the, the, the groups that Cointel Pro really targeted in the late 60s were various civil rights groups. 
And so what they would do is this, let's say, and there are a lot of different civil rights groups. So let's just pick a, let's like make one up. Let's say that there's a, a civil rights group that's going about things the right way. Okay. And by that, I mean, and maybe that's a, that's going to be a controversial statement. So, but whatever, I, I'm just going to put it out there. Let's say that they're peacefully protesting and they're not doing, they're not like bombing anybody or doing any, anything like that. And they're, they're fighting. They're for not change. looting. They're not like stopping trucks in the street. Yeah, so let's just say, you know, very broadly, we're going to say they're doing things the right way, right? Yes, yes. So what Cointelpro did, they wanted to discredit this group. So what they did was, is they said, okay, well, we're going to find five or ten people who, you know, are, or, who are working with us. And they're going to infiltrate this group. They're going to join this group. And then they're going to stand up in meetings. And they're going to get everybody riled up and say, this isn't working. What we need to do is bomb. We need to resort to violence. And they want. And so what they're trying to do is they're actually the government. Think about this. This is the FBI is tr trying to radicalize these civil rights groups so that Imagine they then that. can discredit them. Imagine that. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. I imagine that. I mean, that couldn't happen today. When you have certain groups that are, that are peacefully prote protesting and then all of a sudden you've got people dressed all in black that are breaking windows and inciting people. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely happens today. Um, I mean, I don't think that I don't think that every act of violence that came out of, you know, 60s protests or current protests is a result of government interference but i think, I think that, more now than then to be but quite I think honest that with plenty I, I really are do. i think that yeah. i think that it's um it's a method that they can use because what's the best of way to what's the best way to discredit a movement it's for a movement to discredit yeah. itself and the way you do that <laughs> is you make that movement become violent right yeah black panthers mlk yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, sure, of course. Yep. So, anyway, that's, yeah, yep. Quintal Pro. And, and so, a lot of this stuff came out um, during the um, church committee, something that we, we mm -hmm. discuss a lot in this podcast um, because they, you know, looked into some of the JFK assassination stuff specifically. But um, they kind of uncovered some of the methods that Quintal Pro had used in terms of, again, you know, fomenting violence. Um, you know, the government really shouldn't be involved in, in instigating violence within its own borders. And the FBI certainly was involved in that and Hoover was behind that. And so that kind of came out in the, in the mid seventies. And that really went a long way towards the fact that now, I mean, pretty much everybody looks down on Hoover now because oh, yeah. of stuff like this. Yeah. Yep. And rightfully yep. so. I mean, I think that's bullshit what he did. Agreed. To be honest. Agreed. Um, Agreed. So uh, some um, stuff that Bill had already gotten on to, um, you know, getting a little bit more into the civil rights movement, because that was really in the 60s, he was very focused on um, stopping the civil rights movement, which is kind of weird, right? Because they were, it, you know. It's, you know, I mean, the guy, the guy was against, he, he was against, he, I mean, he, he targeted John Lennon for Christ's sake, <laughs> mm -hmm. a, a man who just wanted peace, right? He yeah. targeted John Lennon. I, I just, I don't, 
I, I don't understand. I mean, he, he got, he, he investigated John Lennon, Malcolm X, uh, MLK, um, you know, Hoover had a public showdown with TRM Howard, a civil rights leader from Mound Bayou, Mississippi. Um, during a national speaking tour, Howard had, had criticized the FBI's failure to investigate thoroughly the radically motivated murders of George W. Lee. Lamar so racially, Smith. racially motivated. Yeah, yeah, racially, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and Hoover wrote an open letter to the press singling out these statements as irresponsible. I mean, so it's like if, if the guy in charge says it's this, mm-hmm. then, the, then, the, then the lambs will follow. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Hoover was really he he had a war against martin luther king jr in the 60s um and against the civil rights movement i mean hoover personally intervened to prevent the the prosecution against ku klux klan members who had been Mm -hmm. responsible for bombing the 16th street baptist church um he he essentially the fbi it was later proven sent a letter um to Martin Luther King Jr. encouraging him to commit suicide. I mean, just kind of all sort of, you know, twisted shit and, and, involved in. And, you know, Steve, it, it's real funny. You know, you, you, we, we can tie this into the whole Black Lives Matter, can't we? When, when you really think about it, you know, why, why would you blame a group of people? When, when one person does something back in the day, like write a letter, a scathing letter, which I, I might just read um, to MLK because of the fear that they had of, of equal rights and, and, and uh, justice for all, you know, why wouldn't they be upset? Why, why wouldn't they be angry? And why wouldn't they think that it's not happening still today? When, when something like that happens and it's in a government fashion, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's not even just that it happened. I think what maybe they were upset about and continue to be upset about is that, I mean, think about it. He wrote that letter and then everybody else, all of us, because we're part of the country, but really, you know, the power that be, sure. they kept him in his position of power despite holding those views. Yeah. So it's not just that Hoover's up there doing horrible things. It's that he's doing these horrible things and people continue to prop him up and allow him to be the director of the FBI, you know? Yeah, without, 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 uh, without spending 10 minutes reading the entire letter, I, I will say that, and it's unfortunate, that when something like this happens, all it is is fuel to the fire for folks who, who um, still believe, and I think quite rightfully so, that we're still doing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to keep certain, certain groups in power. Um, but to kind of overall kind of summarize the letter, basically it said, look, again, people are human. MLK had some extramarital affairs. It has been proven, right? Yeah. Bottom line. It, it was proven because the FBI found said information probably through illegal manner, but they did find this information. And well, you know what, folks, that's politics, right? So if we want to hurt somebody, what do we do, right? We go ahead and we find shit on people. But what they did is they tried to write Martin Luther King and tell him basically, you are the worst vermin ever. Your, your people don't believe you. You're a false prophet to these people. You are done. You know what you need to do. 
-hmm. It doesn't matter. We know that the things you have done were acts against God and these orgies and all of this. What they basically tried to say is you need to kill yourself. You know, and so that hurts me as a, as a, as a United States citizen, because I turn around and I go, really, we have to do that. We, we had to do that. You know, were we so afraid back then? You know, and I, while I don't know for a fact if we're afraid now still in our, in our upper echelons of government, mm-hmm. you, but I just haven't seen someone, in my opinion, as influential to what I honestly believe in 150% to total peace and, and, and you know, uh, race and gender equality than MLK was. A, a true inspiration to America. And the fact that we did what we did and to be quite honest, I think the government was the reason why he was, he was murdered. It, 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 it kind of makes me feel horrible. And, and I kind of understand, you know, why what's happening nowadays in our political climate is happening. Yeah, and you know, something, like, I was, can... something I was just thinking about while, while you were talking is that, you know, we were doing this big pop podcast on JFK, JFK's assassination. But really, I think you kind of need to look at um, the, the four assassinations in tandem, I think. And by the four, I mean JFK's, Robert Kennedy's, Martin Luther King Jr.'s, and Malcolm X, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Because they yes. all happen so close together, really. I mean, five years is nothing. And mm-hmm. I think it was probably the same powers that were involved in all four of them. Uh, well, let's talk about the end of Hoover. Um, So Hoover um, remained director of the FBI until he died of a heart attack in his Washington home, Washington, D.C. home on May 2nd, 1972. Um, And uh, at that time, you know, obviously he he stopped being (laughs) head of the FBI. Um, Nixon then appointed L. Patrick Gray, a Justice Department official with no FBI experience, as acting uh, but director missed, of the FBI. But but he did give uh, his, um, some folks would say, partner, mm-hmm. the interim FBI director, did he not? Clyde yeah, Fisher. yeah. So just for a short time, um, the uh, the position was passed to Clyde Tolson, who was kind and, of... His- and, you know, I don't... I- you know, I don't know about you, but I mean, if you're talking about trying to find information and, and, and some sort of circumstantial evidence to prove anything about the character of said Hoover, you know, the guy moved into his house. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hoover gave him everything in his will. I mean, does that prove anything at all? I don't know about you. I mean, maybe people would give their best friend if they had anybody else, nobody else, you know, everything will to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You it's know, just another anyway, sign. So yeah. So after and all also, of the, mm-hmm. he died of a heart attack. Yes. And and during that time, believe it or not, the CIA FBI was working on a active heart attack inducing film that they could rub on certain surfaces that, when touched would induce a heart attack and nobody would know. So maybe Just they were saying. thinking like, uh, we've had enough of J. Edgar Hoover. It's time to move I don't on. know. Again, who knows, right? There's just so many other things to look into. It's, it's 
like the beginning of going, holy shit, too many layers to this rabbit hole, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. after all of the stuff that Hoover had done, what did the what did the powers that be, you know, think about him? Well, his body lay in state in the rotunda of the U.S. Capitol, um, and he's actually actually the only civil servant ever to yep. have lain in state, or at least at that time had. Um, Chief Justice Warren Berger eulogized him, and then pr President Nixon eulogized him again um, at the um, at the funeral service, and he called Hoover quote one of the giants whose long life brimmed over with magnificent achievement and dedicated service to this country, which he loved so well. <laughs>